Welcome to the Chaya Podcast, a sacred platform where Jewish Iranian changemakers turn taboo topics into transformational opportunities for the community. I'm your hostess, Nicole Napovar, a licensed psychotherapist with a private practice in Century City. And I'm also the co-founder of Chaya, a community of intimate gatherings for Jewish Iranians to experience meaningful connection and deepen their sense of self. The intention of this podcast is to support our listeners' evolution by challenging the rules our parents and community want for us in order to have their definition of the best life. Instead, let's decide from a more conscious place in our souls which practices we want to keep, which ones we want to let go of, and how we can own those decisions with grace so that we can thrive in more fulfilling and authentic lives. This is the Chaya Podcast, and I'm your hostess, Nicole Napovar. Hey, Chaya fam, this is your hostess, Nicole Napovar of the Chaya Podcast, and I have with me today Dr. Donna Jabril, who is one of my best friends, and I'm so excited to have her here. Dr. Jabril is a licensed clinical psychologist working in a private practice in Beverly Hills. She received her undergrad degree from USC in psychology and art. She received her PsyD in clinical psychology from the California School of Professional Psychology, where she was trained to work with a culturally sensitive lens. Donna works with people who need help processing through trauma, relationship difficulties, and identity development. She has led workshops with Chaya before and is cooking up some exciting workshops on female intuition. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. I I love you. (laughs) Something that we'd like to talk about today is identity. And so I'm curious to know a little bit about, um, you know, who you are and why this is something that you want to talk about. Thanks. Thanks. It's exciting to be here. I know I've kind of followed you through your Chaya journey. And so it's like really fun to be involved at different parts and stages of what you're doing. And especially to talk about identity today, because it's something that I'm always thinking about. And I think because I had a big move in my life, which I'll be speaking more about, I was forced to confront and look at myself and the parts of my identity that maybe I wouldn't have necessarily had to look at if I had just, you know, stayed in one place and with the same people my whole life. So I am I'm Persian, I'm Jewish, and I was born and raised in England. My family decided to move to Los Angeles when I was 15. And it was a move that I didn't realize would come with so much self-reflection, but it did. And it made me look at being Persian in so many different ways that, in ways I was honestly really uncomfortable with. Mm. And I think it took me years and years and years to be comfortable with who I am and to work through different parts of shame. Like being in England, being Persian was unique. It was something that was different. It was something that was special. It was something that people didn't really understand. So anything that was shamed or I was uncomfortable about kind of stayed at home, you know, in your house with the family. It wasn't put out there. Um, And then all of a sudden I moved to LA and I was like, wow, there's so many people who are Persian here. And a few things happened. One thing is that you're not unique anymore. You're just like everybody else, which can be really nice because there's a sense of belonging 
Yeah, but you were the hot chick with the curly hair and British accent. I was, I was, (laughs) I was, I was. And people were actually really excited about that. But that's another thing. If we're going to look at being the hot chick with a British accent, I also was gone from being the normal British person in England Mm -hmm. to being like a form of entertainment for people in America, Mm -hmm. which was like a completely different shift for me that I was uncomfortable with. Um, I love teaching people about British culture and words and things like that but I also um I hated just being like an object of entertainment for people as good as their intentions were um and I think this is something that a lot of our listeners and people who have attended our high events before have also struggled with where they maybe grew up in Calabasas or Orange County or Canada or a different country or New York and then they come to LA and they come to the Persian Jewish community in LA and they're like whoa what the fuck is this yeah yeah totally I was I was so excited and overwhelmed at the same time like it was so nice to be able to relate to people and not have to explain things but I was overwhelmed because if I had a sense of belonging with the community but then all of a sudden you're like lumped into one big you know, pool of people and everybody, your uniqueness kind of goes away. Like all Mm. of a sudden you're just seen as just being another person who's part of this community, you know, another Persian girl. Um, And being part of this community, things were, whatever shameful things I had were also amplified. Like it wasn't hidden in the house anymore. It was out in the community. So I avoided, um, you know, I was still involved with... um, people who were Persian and community events when it was based off of my family, but I kept my friend's circle very out of the community because that's what I was used to in England. And I think being around so many people who were Persian who spoke about different things was like, whoa, how do I, how do I deal with all of the things that I feel shame about that are now, you know, spoken about in public, out on display. Can you give me an example? Yeah. You know, Friday morning, getting the bus, going to England, you smell like Gandhi because your mum is (laughs) (laughs) cooking for Shabbat dinner and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I don't want to be smelling like Gandhi and, you know, someone makes a comment and you're just so embarrassed. But like, no one else really gets it. No one else really understands. and You just kind of keep it to yourself and you try to hide it. But let's say, you know, you're in L.A. and you smell like Gundy. It's actually like a really normal thing. <laughs> so, like, other people can be smelling like Gundy on Friday morning because their mom's cooking, but you still have that shame about it. Mm. Um, and so, in a way, like, someone can make a comment and, and laugh um, and not realize that that you carry so much shame because you came from a place where you were different and now now you're the same, but the shame doesn't change. I mean, that's just like a really you know, light and funny example. Yeah. Um, Even the slightest things become really apparent. When you are coming into the Persian Jewish community or when you're out of the Persian Jewish community? Both. Interesting. Both. Yeah. Both. And I've gone in and out of the Persian Jewish community several times. You know, like I've lived in England, I've come to LA, I've gone to Israel for a year, I've come back to LA with a different lens. I lived in New York for three years and then I came back to LA with a different lens. So mm-hmm. going in and out has had me f- me face different parts of my identity and then like reevaluate who I am. Being in different places doesn't mean that I change. I'm still the same person. It's just that different parts of my identity become more apparent. And so the reason why I even wanted to be talking about this today is so that 
you know, this can maybe this conversation can be something thought provoking where we sit back and we're like, what kinds of my identity come out in different environments? How does mm. it change? What parts of my identity do I want to hide mm. when I'm in certain places? When does my identity shine? Like, when do I love being British? When do I love being Persian? You know, when do I love being Jewish? Um, another thing that shifted for me was I became an immigrant. I was never an immigrant. Like that was my, my parents were immigrants. Mm. My grandparents were immigrants. Um, that wasn't part of my story, but then becoming an immigrant myself was clearly, you know, the generational, um, I guess, transmission of whatever we need to go through as a people. And like, even though I was an immigrant in like modern day times, I still was going through things that my parents and my grandparents were going through. And I think that carries a lot of meaning not just from what it means for my identity, but I was carrying parts of their identity too, in terms of their struggles, their hopes, mm. their wants, their beliefs. Um, yeah, so I turned into an immigrant. I was called <laughs> an alien, <laughs> which is really funny, but horrifying. Like imagine you look at a piece of paper and you're like, you know, we're moving to America, the land of dreams, so exciting, so cool. We're going to be part of like this amazing community. Boom, stamp, alien number. Um, <laughs> so alien in itself has a lot of meaning and is already a word that you know, lets you know that you live on a completely different planet yeah, and that people can't relate to you and that you're different. And I think we're all struggling with this in the Persian Jewish community, even in our generation of we're growing up between two cultures that are very different. So we have our Persian yes. Jewish identity and then we have our American identity and they're very different. Persian Jewish community is very collectivistic. It values the family and the greater good and the masses over the individual. And so, you know, what that can look like is you go to Shabbat dinner with your family and you're ready to go party with your friends at 10 p.m. And they're like, no, 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 you have to stay. You just got here. And you're like, well, oh, fuck, I'm going to stay because I'm going to do what the collective wants. Yes. Versus American culture is very like, same situation like you're at shabbat dinner it's 10 o'clock you want to go be with your friends and you're like i'm going i've just committed two hours to being here i'm good and y'all can deal with it you know yeah so we're constantly in between this is just one example i mean you look at even the topic of sex for example and the messages that we get about sex in the persian jewish culture are so different than the messages that we're getting about sex in american culture and we feel very in between. And when we're with our American friends, we feel very Persian Jewish. And when we're with our Persian Jewish friends, we feel maybe sometimes very American or outsiders or ostracized or isolated because there's these parts of us that are different. You know, I even remember speaking to a friend when I was in England, I was probably like 12 or 13, and there was some conversation around something sexual. And I mentioned a word and my friend was like, why are you whispering when you say that word? And I didn't even realize that that was something I was doing, but what was, you know, some of the messages that I was being sent was um, to not talk about anything that had to do with sex and that it's mm. shameful and that it needs to be whispered. Whereas my friend was coming from a family who joked about sex and laughed about it and it was like very open. I wanted to say something that came to mind about dilemma of like wanting to be 
both Persian and American. I remember I was in high school and, you know, it's like football's a really big deal here. And so everyone was going to these American football games in high school and they were always on Friday nights. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I wasn't going. And then one week I really felt like I was missing out. And I told my parents I really wanted to go. And I ended up going and I got there and I was so disconnected from it. First of all, I didn't understand American football and I just didn't find a liking towards it. Like I thought it'd be really exciting. And I was so sad that I gave up what I had, which was so special on Friday night to be with my family and to have like an amazing meal and to, you know, chat and sit down and watch TV together and not have to go anywhere. Um, I felt really empty there. And so that was, it's kind of like it's a back and forth. You try things and you go back to your roots. Then you like stray really far from them to see if that's something you want to incorporate in your, into your life. And you, you're like constantly making really small decisions. How do you know the difference between your identity versus your soul versus your image or reputation? Ooh, good question. My sense is just that they're all intertwined. You know, the image is and the reputation, which is so what we focus on sometimes in the Jewish Shrine community is, you know, or make sure you dress like this when you leave the house yes. or make sure you married this guy or make sure the last name is this or, you know, that you drive this car or you live in this house. This is the, the reputation and the image. And sometimes even on a deeper level, it's like make sure you come off as intellectual or smart or compassionate or caring or, or even ditzy so that... yeah. The guy doesn't think you're too intellectual that you're going out with. Yeah. So, and that's a great point because I think all of us are getting different messages Mm -hmm. in homes, you know? And so um, I think that's the image and the reputation. The image is also the things that we see, but your identity could be the things that you see and the things that you don't see. It could be a mix of both. Yeah. And your identity can also be part of your mission. Like you can have a really, really huge house that's gorgeous, but what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your identity could be, I I am somebody who is very wealthy, um, but the wealth is for me and my family or the wealth is for the community. The wealth is to for the growth. And I think what you do and what's behind what you do is part of your identity. So the intention Mm -hmm. is part of the identity. Yeah. And like the value. It's really, really hard to find your identity when you're being given different messages of how you should behave and who you should be. And so that's where the work comes in. Mm. You know, whether you're having a conversation with your friend or you're actively thinking about things or if you're in therapy and going on this journey with your therapist. But understanding what the messages are that you've been given and trying to figure out, okay, which messages do I want to be part of my identity? Which messages do I want to help form who I am? Mm -hmm. And which messages am I going to fight against? Which ones am I going to break? Which ones am I going to oppose? It sounds like what you're saying is that our identities in the Persian Jewish community are largely influenced by the Persian Jewish culture and our parents and, you know, our aunts and our uncles and our cousins and 
just the Persian Jewish community in general really influences our identity and the parts of our identity that we embrace or the parts of our identity that we hide. A lot of us are struggling with who am I really um, versus what is the community telling me I should be. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you and I were to throw out some words that come to mind when we think of what the Persian Jewish girl's identity should be, it's submissive, it's get an education, it's, um, you know, um, materialistic maybe or not materialistic. It's, it's yeah, it's both. It's, it's want wealth, it's want be materialism. Sexy, but don't be it's promiscuous. Se- yes. You know, wear nice clothes and wear a short skirt, but don't be sexual. Be sweet, but be strong. Don't right. be too sweet. Don't be too strong. Right. So there's a lot of conflicting mixed messages that we're getting. And so that's just the woman. You know, mm-hmm. what about the men? The men are getting the message to be the alpha male, mm-hmm. to be the provider, to be financially secure or strong, to be machismo. Being told to be the breadwinner. They're being told to lead. Although to I think that's leader. changing. Yeah. Um, but like generally, like what are the stereotypes, you know? Yeah. Like I yeah. think these are some of the words that we would use to describe. And so what that does when the woman is told to be submissive or sweet or compassionate or kind or Persian you know, but not too Persian Persian but not too <laughs> Persian and then the guy is told to be the provider and the strength and the leader and you know what does that rob us of it robs us of of our uniqueness and of our spice like we're such a spicy community and people and we're so rich of history and our women are badass women. We really are. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and you know, if we're told to be sweet, like what sweet is is boring, right? And so <laughs> when we're told to be these things, we can still be sweet but not complacent because complacent means that we end up being neutral and we have to just hide our needs, our wants, our desires and go along with life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's finding our spice within the sweetness Mm -hmm. because we are a sweet people. We're the kindest, most caring, most giving Mm -hmm. community as well amongst so many other communities. Um, that we have our spice. And so if we're constantly saying, you know, be sweet but not too sweet, be Persian but not too Persian, then we lose ourselves and we actually become a blank, bland canvas. Yeah. So for someone who's listening, who is identifying with what you're saying and, you know, feels the pressure from their parents or the community to be a certain way, but they're dying to sort of break out of that, what are some maybe three tips that you would give to that person about how they can begin to explore who they are your parents will be fine don't worry about them they'll be okay you can still do what you want to do keep going (laughs) 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 like um as much as we are put in situations where our families our friends leaders teachers whoever try to shame us um, I think on the end of that, there's a lot more beauty that we can come out with. Um, and so it's really hard to tolerate. But, you know, if we also, if you also have a good support system around you and 
have channels where you can share the shame that you're experiencing, I think that's a way to keep going. So maybe, you know, your parents will be fine. Keep going and have a few people who are on the same page as you that you can be yourself with and, you know, scream if you need to. Yeah, I think you make such a good point on the idea of keep going because there can be such a negative feedback loop of, okay, I'm going to try this new thing and then someone's going to shit on it and then I'm going to give up and then I'm back where I started of, you know, not being who I want to be. How shameful is that? Because then not only did you fail, but you tried to break a rule in the community and (laughs) it turned into shit. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So then then that makes it harder the next time to make the same decision. And so just keep going, like keep pushing through even when you want to give up and keep pursuing what feels right. And then surround yourself by people who support that mission and support that part of you that wants to explore who you are. And so what are some qualities of a friend or support system that would make us feel safe in exploring that well I think we can just embody those qualities and hopefully we'll end up with people who have those qualities and we can rub off on them but I think just embracing ourselves and the people around us and listening to what people have to say without having a comment is like the first step um you know people have feelings they want to just shared their experience and we have to understand that their experience is their experience not my experience not somebody else's experience so listening and expecting accepting what they are feeling for just what it is in the moment yeah I think for me also when I was living with you is you were like so supportive of me moving to New York you were the one right. that was pushing me when I was even like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> and I was like, you will go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and one of the things that made me feel like I can really turn to you for that was just, um, and that has kept us friends for the last 12 years, has been that in every stage of my identity and in every stage of yours, we welcome each other into that space. And we want to share that with one another and we inspire one another through those actions. And, you know, I think um, we, we ch- we're each other's cheerleaders. We tell each other, like, yeah, you can do it. Keep going. Or, you know, call me when you're in some shit with your parents and they're not down. Or, yeah. you yeah. know what I mean? Or, like, this is how you can do it. Or this is how I did it. Like, you had moved to Israel and already come back when I had met you. Yes. So you had all of your experiences there to sort of inspire me and tell me, like, hey, this is what I got out of moving to Israel or this is what I got out of moving to Israel and this is the part of me that developed and I was listening to your story and so inspired by that. So I think sharing our stories also, like those people that you've seen that are doing, you know, that kind of life that you want to live, that their goals, go after those people. Go talk to those people if you're thinking about stepping out of the Persian Jewish mold and wanting to do something different and just starting to explore different parts of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Nick, I feel like um, we were different and we had different ideas of life and what we can and cannot do. But we used a lot of humor Mm. to be able to understand each other. Um, (laughs) You know, I think I made fun of you and you made fun of me, but we also did it in a a really accepting way. And we highlighted the things that we were going to challenge in each other. And I think... um, 
that's what we can do with our friends and our family to be able to challenge the community is to bring to light some of the things that um, we can push people with without being mean about mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and also without stepping boundaries. It's a fine line. Yeah. It's a really fine Can you line. give an example of when you made fun of me? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I think I made fun of the idea that you literally felt like you were ruining your dad's life mm. by leaving the house. I couldn't understand this. And I think I constantly said, your dad will be fine. He'll be fine. He's going to survive. Um, you made fun of me. You threw in a few Persian accents in the process, too. <laughs> <laughs> if you allow all the different parts of your identity, both the parts that you show and the parts that you hide, to be accepted and to really look at all of them, then you create a more integrated version of yourself. And the biggest thing that gets in the way of that integrated version of yourself is shame. So can you talk a little bit more about shame? Yeah, so much to talk about with shame. Um, I can bring up a personal uh, struggle that I had about a part of me that was what I felt was seen. Um, You know, growing up in England, I was around loads of British people who had really nice and small noses. And being Persian, I felt like my nose was humongous. And it was so difficult being brought up with a family where every aunt, you know, mother, most of the women around me had had um, plastic surgery for their nose, had their nose done at some point in their life. And it was this constant discussion like you know if my sister hit my nose she would joke and be like oh don't worry well I'm Alec she was literally like four like where did she get this idea from Mm -hmm. um and it was ingrained in me that like your nose is not desirable and you're going to have it fixed you know when you turn 18 and I moved to LA carrying all this shame but then I was like so surprised because I was like I am not the only person who feels like they have a big nose actually like I'm in high school with a lot of other Persian girls who have small noses and big noses and I like it actually helped me to accept myself a little bit more um and then we all turned 18 and everyone not everyone most many people had their noses done And so I went, I kind of reverted back to the shame of like, okay, I just tried to accept myself, but then the shame was reinforced Mm -hmm. because everybody got rid of something that we were told is shameful. Um, And I, I don't, I personally, I think this helped me, but I don't like the idea of surgery. I, I struggle with like medical procedures. So I wasn't somebody who was like all in for it. Um, so I had a lot of time to think. And I think this thinking time is what helped me come to a place where I was like, oh, my gosh, like, why is this defining me so much? Like, I'm actually like I'm beautiful. I'm really lucky that I had a lot of non-Persian friends who thought I was absurd when I would tell them about my nose. They were like, you're gorgeous and it's such a part of you and it's, mm-hmm. you're beautiful. And I was like, what are you talking about? I guess it's like kind of the dialogue that me and you had. Mm -hmm. You know, they were challenging my perspective. So for our listeners, 
how can they begin to accept parts of their identity that they might be ashamed of? Whether it's their, I think some of, you know, and there's so many things that we can be ashamed of in this community, whether it's our career choice or our sexual orientation or, um, you know, the way that our, the way that we look, there are so many different things that we can pinpoint and be like, make it about our identity. Like I'm ugly or I'm gay or I'm an artist. Um, so how, how do you move through that shame and have a more integrated, um, accepting version of your full identity? I think it's a lifelong journey. And I think there's you know, we can like tackle one struggle and then there's there's another, but that's mm-hmm. also the beauty of life. Um, being able to understand where our shame comes from, I think is the first, like or one of the first steps. You know, why do I feel the shame about my nose? Um, is it is it really, like it was so bothersome to me, um, but I was able to understand that it's because of what people have said to me. And I actually met somebody who wasn't Persian. She was an American woman. And she also had a bump on her nose. And she said she loved her bump. And I was like, what the hell is your secret? Like, <laughs> who are you? And, like, you like your bump? I was just, like, really taken aback. And she said, yeah, my mom would touch my nose every day and tell me how beautiful it is. Mm. And I was like, you're joking, right? Like, that's gorgeous and so I started to think okay so where my shame isn't coming from me like it's not coming from within it's not part of an identity that I fostered it came from an identity that other people fostered for me and I don't want that I want to foster a different identity I want to foster identity of strength of beauty of confidence Mm -hmm. of acceptance of myself I want to be able to pass on my nose genes to my children <laughs> and let them know that it's gorgeous. And if I remove my nose genes from what can be seen, what's unseen is still going to be passed on to them. And then now they, then they have to deal with it. So why don't I just deal with it now and pass on the beauty rather than the the shame and I'm sure some shame will be passed on too it's always going to be there but like how much nicer that I can do some of the work for my children yeah so I think there's two main steps that you're talking about is number one getting clear and aware of where the shame is coming from and who gave you those messages about that thing that you're ashamed of and then also asking yourself now that you know what that is, what do you want your relationship with your identity to be like? What do you want your identity to look like? And then choosing that for yourself. So getting conscious and choosing. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's that was nicely put. Um, so my last question for you, mm-hmm. and I you know, ask all of our podcast guests this question, is, as you know, our community has many rules about, like we've talked about, how to dress, what career to have, how to show up, who to marry, and, um, you know, this formula is made by all of these rules in order for us to be happy. That's the intention. Um, But I think more and more what we're trying to do here at Chaya is get people conscious about different rules that are in the community and how to tackle them and how to really ask ourselves which of these rules do we want to keep and which ones do we want to break. So my question for you is, 
What's one rule that you've broken in the Jewish Iranian community and what have you learned or gained from breaking that rule? For me, I think maybe not having plastic surgery on my nose was a rule that I broke in my family. I know not every family follows this rule, but for my family, um, this was a huge rule that I broke and it was really uncomfortable and it came with tears and some screams and a lot of self-reflection and back and forth and and self-doubt. Um, but I feel like I broke it and no longer need to be breaking it. So what did you learn or gain from breaking that rule? I learned that... By the way, it's amazing that you broke the rule and you didn't break your nose. (laughs) (laughs) That's just so good. (laughs) But, um, yeah. What did you sort of gain or learn from breaking that rule I think I learned that you can become comfortable with your decisions and yourself and even if everybody else opposes you you can come to a place where you're okay with that I learned how to speak to people I think you know speaking to people with kindness and recognizing their intention is really really important I don't think people are trying to be mean and that it's all in our head like how many people have come to you me and said something that's a completely different perspective like my friend who's like you're so pretty like what's wrong with your nose it's not even you know what you think it is like why does she think so differently than me Um, I think maybe holding on to those pieces that like it's really the way that we perceive things Mm -hmm. um, and not letting people dictate how we want how we feel. Um, And I think this maybe goes into why I'm so big on intuition and why part of my work is so focused on it. When we have a feeling about something, we have to explore it. It's not like... We can do something to fix that irking feeling. We can take it away. It's very easy to do that. Um, Or we can sit with it. It might take years. But I think if we like listen to the feeling, even if we don't know what it is, we can come out on the other end feeling more true to ourselves. And I think if everyone is more true to ourselves, then we're more compassionate to other people in our community. We're more accepting. And the more accepting we are of each other, the cooler we actually are, right? The more <laughs> the more interesting, the more colorful, the more giving, mm-hmm. um, the more united we are. And so, yeah, we can like try to help other people, but like if we become representations of what we want our community to look like, which I think is something that you constantly say, then that's like an amazing step. And, you know, sometimes I say it's like amazing to influence other people, but like, who are we to like tell people who to become and how to change? Because that's the problem, right? But we can tell ourselves who to become and what we want to change. And I think people just kind of like take that energy and start to, you know, it's like a domino effect. They start to change themselves. Thank you, Dawn, so much for joining us. I'm wondering where our listeners can get more of you. Ah, thanks for asking. You can find me, probably the best ways to get in touch with me through email. Um, I work in Beverly Hills. 
and you can reach me at Donna at ibbmed.com. That's D-A-N-A, spelt Donna the British way, <laughs> at ibbmed.com. Thank you. Thanks, Mom. Hey, Chaya family. Thank you for tuning in. This episode was brought to you by Chaya Community, a sacred space for Jewish Iranians to experience meaningful connection and deepen their sense of self. It's also brought to you by WeWork, finally a space that works how you do. WeWork's new media and entertainment locations are wired and ready for your next big creative project. From soundproof editing rooms to state-of-the-art screening rooms, our media-ready spaces have you covered from pilot to wrap. Book a tour of our newest M&E building at the Pacific Design Center, Green, by visiting we.co slash entertainment. Again, that's we.co slash entertainment.